Welcome to 8 Million, a podcast series that looks at the 8 million metric tons of plastic entering our oceans every year, and what role China plays in addressing this global challenge. 8 Million is produced by Sustainable Asia and its partners China Dialogue and Aya Recording Studio. Hi, I'm Marcy Trent Long. I've lived in Hong Kong for the past 20 years. When I first moved to Asia, that was in the early 90s, I lived in hectic Jakarta, Indonesia. I remember spending weekends on some of the world's most beautiful beaches, trying to escape the city life. But when I returned to those beaches recently, they were littered with plastic. Everywhere you look, on beaches and seas all around the world, there's plastic. I wanted to know how we got to this point. After speaking with colleagues in Hong Kong, I soon learned that China was actually making progress to stem the flow of plastic into our oceans. So what can China teach us about this global plastic problem and its possible solutions? In this series, we'll be exploring how China fits into the puzzle of ocean plastics. I'll be talking to experts from academic, business, government, and NGOs to learn the details of the burden of plastic waste and how China's policy and investment patterns can help us with that struggle. Let's start at the beginning. Why is plastic ocean pollution such a problem? For me, the I think the, that moment when I got a punch in the gut personally was when we were filming these shearwater birds in Lord Howe Island. That was Craig Leeson. He directed the documentary film A Plastic Ocean. Craig told me about the horrible impact plastic is having on wildlife. 90% of seabirds have plastic in their bodies. Craig saw this firsthand on Low Island, off the Australian coast, where shearwater birds make their nests. Some of them will spend five years on the wing. They're these very heroic birds, and then they fly back to the island that they were born on. Now, unfortunately, their parents, as we're finding, um, are finding it more and more difficult to find food for them and are flying further and further afield to get it. And in Lord Howe Island, that means that they're picking up plastic, which after time on the ocean smell like marine life. They pick it up, they take it back, and they feed it to their babies. And in many cases, these baby stomachs are becoming so full that they can't eat anymore and they starve to death because they feel full. So they're leaving the burrows and they're dying on the beaches. And we walked along the beach every morning and there were dozens of these dead birds. And when we opened the first one and I saw these objects come out of the stomach of this bird and they were balloon ties, golf tees, bottle caps and it suddenly dawned on me that these were objects I'd used and thrown away that word away that I thought and had been told of was uh, relevant to so-called disposable plastic because it goes away and of course the truth now as we know it is that it doesn't go away and I suddenly felt personally responsible for the death of that bird I, too, never imagined our habit of throwing away plastics every day for decades would have such consequences. Next, I spoke to Nicholas Malos. 
He works at the Ocean Conservancy, an NGO that's been organizing international coastal cleanups for over 30 years. He was there to pick up the pieces when 5 million tons of trash floated out into the ocean after the Japanese tsunami of 2011. This is what he's seen while doing his work. Hong Kong and Peru, many African countries, um, many parts of Southeast Asia and Asia Pacific, um, you know, we see some beaches that have large accumulations of debris. And in many places, um, you know, half a day's cleanup effort can't even completely rid that beach of trash. And so wherever you go, sadly, there, there is trash to be picked up. There is plastics on the beach. Um, but, but what we've noticed over the last 32 years um, is that, you know, the, the problem is persisting. And in many places, it's, it's proliferating. You know, the most common items, the top 10, the top 15 items, are largely the, the items that we as individuals use in our daily lives. Um, you know, the, unfortunately, the, the quick use disposable products. So it, it's a lot. Cigarette butts have always been number one since the International Coastal Cleanup started. Um, but after that, it, it's largely things like food wrappers or, or plastic bags or beverage bottles or bottle caps. And so, um, you know, in many ways, it is a snapshot of our current state of as a global consumer society. Plastic production didn't really kick off till the 1950s, but since then, it's increased exponentially, overtaking steel production by the end of the 90s. So I asked Craig, why did it take us so long to realize the impact plastic has had on our planet? We became so used to using it, and it became such a part of our lives that it became invisible. Um, I didn't see it until I started looking for it, and... Um, as I said, I surf and I should have seen it, you know, around my feet and on the beaches and everything, and I didn't. And as soon as I started looking for it, I saw it everywhere. I've had the same happen to me. From the moment I learned about this problem, I've noticed just how much plastic we use and discard. And when this plastic reaches the ocean, it gets carried around the globe in huge ocean currents called gyres. To learn what exactly these gyres are, I rang up Marcus Erickson. A few years ago, Marcus sailed from California to Hawaii on a raft made out of plastic water bottles. Now he's the research director of Five Gyres Institute. I figured he'd be able to tell me more. So I, ocean gyres have been around for, for millions of years. They're basically their circulation patterns in our oceans. And there are five big subtropical gyres, the entire North Pacific, North Atlantic, South Pacific, South Atlantic and Indian Ocean. So five subtropical gyres and trash that enters the oceans will, will migrate toward these gyres. For example, the North Pacific is where mu much of Southeast Asia and North American trash migrates to. And it's a clockwise swirling current. A plastic bottle leaving California may end up on the coast of China in five years or less and then make its way back to the United States in a 10-year loop. That's what a gyre is. With plastic drifting around the globe in these currents, how can we ever fish it all out again? It's nearly impossible, says Bill Robertson. He works with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. When I met with him in a San Francisco coffee shop, he compared the plastic problem to the oil spills he's had to deal with. Number one rule in oil spill response is stop the source, contain the release. What do you need to do with plastic? You need to stop the source, contain the release into our water bodies. 
and then hope that the ecosystem, much like it does with oil, if you break up in small particles, sometimes in the right conditions, you literally break it in small particles so it can be consumed by microorganisms. Any plastic that spends some time in the ocean is indeed broken down into small particles. When these fragments become smaller than five millimeters, they're called microplastics. Some plastic objects, like soda bottles or toothbrushes, can take decades to degrade into microparticles. Others, like thin plastic bags, only take a few years. And even others, like the tiny bit that wash out of your synthetic clothing, enter the ocean as microplastics directly. In 2004, Marcus's Five Gyres Institute concluded that 90% of the plastic in the open ocean is microplastic. But while it's no problem for certain oils to be absorbed into the ocean ecosphere, microplastics are a huge problem, as both Marcus and Craig stress. What we're discovering is that these microplastics can absorb all kinds of of toxins that are floating on the ocean surface. Things like PCBs, DDT, other pesticides, industrial chemicals, even the oil drops from cars that flow out to sea, stick to plastics in high concentrations. When these toxins get into the ocean, they look for objects that have large molecules to attach to, and plastic has that. So plastic acts like a sponge. So you've got these double poison pills that are floating around in, in the ocean. And when fish consume them, um, they, it bioaccumulates and the toxins that are attached to the plastic because they love oil they release from the plastic and they attach to the fatty tissue of the fish and they bioaccumulate as that small fish is eaten by a bigger fish is eaten by a bigger fish is eaten by a bigger fish all the way up the food chain till it hits us More and more studies are coming out about these microplastics It's now estimated that Europeans consume up to 11,000 pieces of microplastics a year and in Western Canada, the average clam and oyster is discovered to contain eight pieces of microplastic. Most of these particles go straight through our bodies, but a disturbing percentage of them stick around with sinister results. So we're finding through studies, for example, that the Center for Disease Control did in America as far back as 2003 that 92.6% of every American person has chemicals associated with plastic in their bodies. These chemicals mimic hormones that are in our body. Um, they're what we call EA or estrogenic activity. And so they, they mimic the hormones that our body uses to create everything we need. And if you're a child, to create the changes that you need as you grow. And sometimes they actually block those hormones and have an effect on themselves. So we're seeing everything from from cancers to diabetes, um, to behavioral disorders, uh, even to gender dysmorphia. And as we delve into that, we're, we're, it's becoming more and more shocking because it's becoming more and more evident that these diseases, which we didn't fully understand in terms of how they manifested themselves or came from, we're now understanding they're purely from our lifestyle. Here's where I should insert a note that experts are still not certain that these conditions are a direct effect of microplastics. But the signals are at least a cause for some alarm. Chelsea Rockman of the University of Toronto has been studying the effect of microplastics for years. A few years ago, she was asked by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to go to local fish markets in California and Indonesia. 
they were really interested in somebody actually going to a fish market and making that direct link from when you purchase the fish at the store, do you see the microplastics in them? She found that you do. One in every four fish she studied contained plastic. But the biggest revelation from her study was the different kinds of plastic Chelsea found. In California, almost every fish that we opened that had debris in it were fibers. So they were microfibers that probably came from wastewater treatment plant effluent. You hear an awful lot these days about microfibers coming off of our clothes in the wash and then entering the environment through that uh, wash water effluent going through a wastewater treatment plant and coming out into the ocean. But in Indonesia, we found more fragments, so little particles of plastic that were broken down pieces of bigger plastic products. The lifestyle differences in California and Indonesia meant that different kinds of plastics made it into the stomachs of sea life. But one thing is clear, all this plastic came from land. That follows a study that was published in Science Magazine in 2015. In that study, researcher Jenna Jembeck and her team came up with an estimate for how much plastic enters the ocean each year. They looked at all the countries that border an ocean or sea and studied the population density within 50 kilometers of these coastlines. For these populated areas, they then looked at how much waste is generally created and how this waste is managed or mismanaged. The results are, again, shocking. Our mid-estimate of this global input was for 2010, and it was equal to 8 million metric tons of plastic uh, going into the ocean in that one year. If we're all standing hand-to-hand, covering the entire coastline of the world, each one of us would have five grocery-sized bags of plastic uh, in front of us, and that's what's going into the ocean every year for every foot of coastline in the world. Eight million tons. What can we do? Um, you know, there is no silver bullet to this problem. Nicholas Malos from Ocean Conservancy again. It is a, a big, wicked global problem, and it's going to require many solutions, um, oftentimes that are, that are locally appropriate, but that collectively scale up to a global solution set. We have to look at um, establishing kind of fundamental collection and recycling in, in many of the economies that are currently um, you know, estimated to be the largest contributors of this plastic. And what we, what we know from that science is that currently many of those economies are concentrated in Southeast Asia. While the problem is far from limited to Southeast Asia, it is estimated that the five largest contributors to ocean plastic are in that area. Including China, they make up about 40% of the input of plastic into the ocean. There are many possible explanations for this. For one, many of these countries are archipelagos, with a lot of coast for a little land, meaning landfills easily leak into waterways. Another reason is the rapid development of some of these countries. Economic growth allowed for large sections of the population to afford disposable goods. But as Nicholas mentioned... Many of the behaviors have not been matched with increases in adequate waste collection or or waste facilities. And so trying to find ways that we put in place and and provide funding to support 
those those basic waste collection and those basic waste infrastructures is, is critically important to, to address much of the plastic, mismanaged plastic waste that we currently see leaking into the ocean and into waterways. Improving waste infrastructure takes massive investment, but China is tackling this challenge with both hands. As Eric Solom of the UNEP told Reuters a few months ago, if there's one nation changing at the moment more than anyone else, it's China. The speed and determination of the government to change is enormous. And China is not just changing its own infrastructure. Now that America is pulling out of many environmental commitments, China is gaining influence in the world. More and more, China is looking to invest in neighboring countries. So can they take the lead and help stop the flow of plastic into the ocean? But where to start? Should we be promoting recycling? Or will landfills do the job? Or what about the increasingly popular technology of waste to energy? Over the next episodes of this series, we'll look at how China is transforming waste infrastructure within and abroad, and how we can deal with plastic, the key to our disposable lifestyle, before it irreversibly changes the fabric of our oceans. Join me in the next episode for a peek at China's unique government structure and how that translates on the ground, into waterways, and out into the ocean. This podcast was brought to you by Sustainable Asia. 8 Million was produced by me, Marcy Trent Long, and the multi-talented Sam Beckemans. We could not have pulled this podcast series together without our amazing audio engineers, Annabeth and Karsten Martins of Aya Recording Studio. Our logo and social media outreach was by Kinsey Long. And special thanks to our voiceover, Kian Lee, audio assistant, Daniel Sun, and our wonderful partners at China Dialogue. Isabel Hilton, who helped us formulate the idea for the project. Charlotte Middlehurst and Christopher Davey for their editing skills. And Huang Lushan for stepping in with interviews and translation. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Education and collaboration are our best path for creating a sustainable Asia.